to the BAT podcast. Um, Howard uh, and I are here again today. We're excited to have a very special guest uh, with us, Graham Rahal, IndyCar driver and uh, car customizer and collector, also buyer and seller on BAT a little bit. We want to talk uh, with you, Graham, about yeah your interaction with BAT and, and um, with the car community in general. And I think everybody just really excited to hear what you have to say. So welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Where are you joining us from today, Graham? Today I'm in Indianapolis um, at my performance facility in Ducati. It's all our all in one place. Um, so I'm, I'm here. It's, uh, it's good to be back. I kind of bounce around quite a bit. So it's good to be here and see what all projects we've got going on and see what's sitting out front, you know, for sale and all that good stuff. Yeah, no, Graham. First off, you're you're from Ohio. Sounds like you live in Indiana. Uh, I went to college out in your neck of the woods, so I, I love that you're a diehard Midwest guy through and through. Oh yeah, um, you know I'm from Columbus, and you know it's great actually out here. You know a lot of people I know from California don't think that there's great car culture out here, but we've it's been fun. Um, we, you know we've been able to build it up a little bit, and and everybody's super enthusiastic. So it's getting better. You know what was missing maybe from the West Coast vibe is 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 getting here slowly. And um, but yeah, I mean I love the Midwest. There's nothing nothing like it. Fantastic. Well, hey, we uh, we know you've been lurking around BAT a little bit over the years, and uh, we always love asking people how they discovered BAT and and what their interaction with the BAT community has been like. Can you tell us? A little bit. I, I bet a bunch of people don't know. I, I don't know if your screen name is sort of covert or if you're, a, you know, a Graham Ray Hall Racing 123 or whatever your username is. But uh, uh, people would love to know. And we've known for a long time on staff that you've, you've uh, you know, been part of the BAT community. How did that come about? Well, frankly, it started quite a long time ago. Um, my dad is a, is a frequent BAT viewer. And uh, we bought... We bought quite a bit on there, and uh, it started because uh, you know Dad used to call me all the time. Hey, bid on this, bid on this, and get that. And I, I must admit, I've missed several things because I've I've forgotten and gotten carried away with my day and then missed. But um, you know, he uh, he was always on time. I was like, why can't you just get your own screen name and just bid? Like, why do you gotta you know bother me all the time? But in the end, we've uh, we bought plenty of stuff on there, and uh, we love what you guys have done. I mean, for sure, it's a great marketplace. Um, you know, I think the first thing I bought on there was the red S 2000, the thousand mile car, which was, uh, which was beautiful, you know, and then, but then cool stuff pops back up. Like my dad's, you know, dark blue potsy blue with a uh, blue medio interior 575 M, uh, that he just bought back, uh, for his personal collection. Gosh, it left our family, I think in 2005 and then pops up on BAT. And it's funny how that works, man. You guys have done an, like I said, an amazing job. There's a lot of stuff, you know, that looks uh, that we look back to the past and, you know, your, your memories uh, get going and your your childhood memories and, and the uh, nostalgic stuff gets flowing. And next thing you know, you own something that earlier that day you didn't think that you wanted. So it's pretty uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, that's great. You know, obviously the, the, the racing is one side of things, but I think uh, our community would love to know kind of what what cars were, were around the Ray Hall household growing up. What, what did you uh what did you uh, grow up around uh, old car wise? Well, it's funny because the cars I'm going to list nowadays, you guys are like, oh my gosh, you know, thinking about how much that's worth. But at the time, you know, they really weren't worth much. Um, 
But like I remember the car that was most vivid in my mind is the 300 SL Gullwing. Dad had a silver red Gullwing, I want to say in the mid 90s. But at the time, you know, they weren't, they were desirable, but not, not like today. Um, you know, I grew up and what I've been scouring and waiting on BAT for a while is I, he had a, a, a 355 uh, F1 trans. I'd probably try to find a six speed, but an F1 trans, uh, you know, and, and fly yellow with black interior. And so I've been waiting for an, a Ferrari 355 to appear. Cause when I was a kid, you know, that was the latest, greatest, coolest thing. And it just, you know, it sticks in my brain going to soccer practice and that, but you know, dad, he, he always kind of had the fresh rattle, but they always came in and out pretty quick. I must say there was never anything that was around for any significant period of time other than like, and I still have one, a sixties mini Cooper. Like I remember dad had a green sixties mini for, you know, 10 plus years. And I've had one for 15 years. So it's kind of weird, like stuff like that. We always loved and got attached to, but a lot of the other stuff kind of came and went. Nice. Uh, that's certainly a good bunch of variety, right? I mean, I, I know you're, you're into a, a few different marks and a, you know, you mentioned the Ducati store and other retail stuff that you're involved in, but it sounds like the interest level that has been passed down to you, maybe from your dad and other influences is really versatile, kind of all over the map, right? Like when I think of you, I wouldn't have think you'd have a, a Mark one mini. I had no idea you'd put up yeah. a British car in your fleet. A lot of people don't have the uh, thick skin to do that, but it yeah. sounds like the variety is kind of something that, uh, that really scratches that itch for you. What other sort of uh, corners of the car universe are in your uh, interest area or uh, collection that, that people may not have guessed? Well, I would definitely say my mini is probably what I'm, you know, closest to that I love the most. Um, but, you know, I would say, you know, our family, I don't know why since I've been a kid, you know, dad was always, my grandfather was a big Porsche fan. Dad was a Porsche fan. Due to our connection with Honda and racing, we, you know, we have, we, we bought a, I think we got a 600, S 600 off, off of BAT uh, nice. for dad. It was at the, at the time, I want to say it was blue with red interior, but when we got it, uh, dad wanted to restore it back to the original color. So it's red with black now. Um, and it sits at our dealership in, in, uh, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But, you know, for me, um, there was kind of a wide variety of, of stuff that's kind of come and gone like the S 2000, uh, that I, that I got on BAT a while back. Um, like I said, though, the thing, the, the problem that I've got with you guys is that it's like a, it's like a, uh, an addiction. And when that email comes in the morning, every morning, it's like, Oh, well, let's, what's the, what's the latest thing on here that I don't need, but suddenly I want. And so, um, I found myself in a position I've got a VW bus I bought on VAT. It's sitting right next to me, actually. It's a transporter too. So I don't know, you know, it's been, um, there's kind of a wide variety of, of leakers that sit around here, I guess. So it's, it's, it's probably no surprise that you found your way uh, into motorsports. Uh, I think I'd love to hear about kind of when you were coming up through the ranks, tell us, uh, tell us some of those war stories. Did, did you uh, kind of earn your chops in, in Formula Atlantic like a lot of other guys or uh, what was that like? Yeah, so I kind of came up at the time when I was coming up, there was still a split in open wheel racing. And in the early part of my career, you know, I'll, I'll admit that my focus was very much like, oh, you know, someday I'd like to go to Formula One. And the guy that really uh, changed that for me was was Justin Wilson. Uh, I remember, you know, sitting with Justin in 2007. We were both big, tall guys. I'm 6'3". J-Dub, was, he was taller than me. Um, and... Uh, you know, he just told me, he said, there's just no way in hell you're going to like it. 
you don't want to go there. You know, it's not fun. You're not going to enjoy it. Uh, racing in the United States is so much more friendly. And so, you know, I kind of changed my path. But at that time, you know, you went, um, you know, Star Mazda or Formula BMW, which doesn't exist anymore. Then you'd go to Star Mazda. And then I went to Formula Atlantic and I went the champ car route. Well, my first year professionally or the second year, you know, it, it unified. And so now it's even more of a clear path. It was kind of confusing at that time. But there are always stories, you know, a lot of great guys that you raced against over the years that, you know, their names pop up and, you know, driving for for big teams, you know, all around the world. Some guys end up in Formula One that you've raced against, you know, many times before, um, you know, but there's always great stories that kind of come out of that. It's a small world, big world, but in the racing sense, it all becomes very small and, and pretty tight knit. I mean, between those two, I mean, is there a huge, I'm sure the answer is yes and no, but is there a huge difference between uh, an Indi- a 2021 Indy car and a Formula One car? I mean, you guys are going 235 miles an hour uh, in the States. Obviously, Formula One is always considered to be kind of the, the top rung, but uh, h- how do you square the two? Well, it's interesting because Romain Grosjean, you know, he came over from F1 for this year. And I was actually asking him because he's li- driven the latest, greatest, you know, in the Formula One space. And uh, so I, I asked him and he said, well, you know, the, the Formula One car, the biggest difference in the F1 car is in qualifying trim. You know, they turn up the horsepower to a big number, which we can't do. Um, you know, we are set to what we can run. And um, that's limited by really technological advances, meaning in our sport, the money is limited every year. You're not allowed to just go and spend endlessly. And the manufacturers have limits. Whereas in Formula One, they have a base set of rules, but between the hybrid power units and all the other stuff, those things are like damn near driving a, a computer nowadays. You know, whereas the IndyCar, and even Romain said this, like the IndyCar is just very raw. Uh, he was talking about at the first test that we did at Barber, he couldn't turn the steering wheel. I mean, he only did 40 laps that day. And he said it was because physically he couldn't drive. The, the car was so much more physically demanding than a Formula One car. But the Formula One car accelerates quicker. It's a little bit lighter. The power unit is really unrestricted compared to what we have, which is very restricted. Um, and so, you know, clearly an F1 car is 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 quicker. Uh, but the Indy car in many senses is much more raw. And I think from a driver's perspective, a lot of the guys that come over and drive them that have been in F1, that's what they love about it. It kind of takes them back, you know, to, to the purity of driving, um, you know, whereas Formula One is just so advanced. Um, and, and, the, and the money, you know, you look at like an IndyCar, a top flight IndyCar budget is maybe 10 million a year for a car. And a top flight Formula One budget is, you know, Mercedes spends probably 300 million a year per car, you know, 500 some thousand euros total for the team. That's a different, that's a whole different ballpark. You know, you're spending a lot of money to go not that much quicker. Yeah, it's cool. Super cool insight. I mean, the way I I follow what's going on in your sport, Graham, is through following a lot of the drivers as individuals through Twitter. I follow you uh, and I follow a few others and I loved, uh, you know, it's kind of the real time nature of, you know, you'll celebrate, hey, I, I qualified, you know, position six and then, you know, the race will transpire and I'll get that through a few feeds and then I'll hear your sort of personal breakdown of what's going on, whether whether it was because everything went perfectly or whether there was a, you know, there was contact yeah. in turn four or whatever's going on. That sort of stuff is really enjoyable. Tell, tell us and tell the audience what 
how you sort of interact with your fans and how the modern race driver like yourself, um, yeah, just sort of connects in that sort of way. It seems like a new channel, direct channel that you have straight with, with, uh, the yeah, audience. yeah, totally different. Um, you know, dad and I were actually talking about this, you know, from his era, uh, social media didn't exist and, 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 and certainly things were much different than today, uh, today you know, fans and everybody have access to you at their fingertips, which is very kind of unique and not always great, you know, in some ways. And that's been, that's come to light um, over the last couple of years, just how brutal, you know, social media can really be on people. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's good in ways and it's bad in ways, but I would say the goods are um, like you guys, you know, it helps you read, reach such a broad audience uh, so quickly. And, uh, you know, it helps bring to light and, and help grow a business with marketing costs of basically zero and, uh, you know, and, and do it organically. And the same is with racing. Uh, you know, we're out there to, to do well and to win, but we're also out there to promote our sponsors. I mean, the way that racing has changed, you know, sponsorship, the demands on the drivers and the teams to to get their ROI return on investment and, you know, and, and to do all of these things. The driving aspect of being an IndyCar driver is maybe 15, 20% of the whole picture. But I think fans can actually see that too. You know, they finally see like, hey, you know, these guys aren't on vacation all the time. The, you know, the off season has been six months. Yet I can assure you, you know, we haven't even been on a, on a vacation other than Christmas. You know, Christmas would go for a few days away. But other than that, we have not been on a vacation. It's, it's, it's a full-time gig. But a lot of people don't think that, you know, before social media, it's like, oh, they race and then they disappear for six months. And, you know, it's a, it's a whole different world. I mean, it really is. But I've enjoyed it. I enjoy, you know, communicating with fans, uh, the goods and the bads. You know, for me, the banter is always kind of a, a, a fun thing. And seeing people get all spooled up is always funny. Um, but I also enjoy the social media aspect. Like for me, you know, being a car guy, it's a great way to, you know, see some cool cars. I'm not one of these guys that's a big fan of all these people who want to be Instagram famous. That's not my sort of gig, but I certainly love to go out and look at some cool, you know, cool cars and see what's out there. So, yeah, no, that's, that's awesome to hear. I, I think you're about uh, a month, <clears throat> a month out from the season opener of Barber, which is uh, what second or third week, of April. Uh, yeah. What's your schedule like these days kind of uh, right in advance of the season start? Well, uh, you know, the schedule, it's, uh, you know, right now is, is, is getting busy. Um, a lot of simulator days, you know, we're not allowed to do much on track testing. So we go to the Honda as a simulator that we use in Indianapolis, pretty advanced. It's not like one that you just put in your house, but, uh, you know, so we've got that going on and, um, you know, definitely it's, uh, it's getting busy. A lot, a lot more sponsor appearances last year, we weren't allowed to do any. And so this year it's kind of, you almost have double because everybody's trying to get their, you know, their, their, their commitments uh, and requirements of you in, you know, in this year, clearly it's all, a lot of it's changed a lot of zoom, you know, which isn't nearly as fun, but still you get to interact and have some fun. Uh, but you know, it's, uh, it's getting busy. We go test maybe two or three more days. Um, and then we go off to Barber and we tested a Barber earlier this year, amazing track. Um, and we, we've raced there many times, but, they repaved it, silky smooth, super grippy, really fast. Always puts on a good show, um, but it's uh, that's that's one heck of a racetrack. So we're looking forward to that. And then from there, we go literally the next weekend into St. Pete, 
The next weekend after that, straight into Texas for the Oval for a doubleheader. We race Saturday and Sunday, which is going to be a bruiser, and go straight from there into the month of May, you know, and run at the Grand Prix and then the Indy 500. So there's not much time off. Once we hit the ground running in the in the IndyCar series this year, we're pretty well solid until September, and then it's it's all kind of over. And is this a pretty normal year? I mean, coming out of COVID and different sorts of things happening, I mean, I, I know as a spectators, people are chomping at the bit to get back to, you know, watch live racing and be involved and, and rub shoulders with, you know, the, the heroes in the pits and that sort of stuff. Is this, is this a quasi normal year or do you see it as, as uh, being significantly different than last year? No, I think it's going to be pretty normal. Uh, we're going to get there. Um, the start may not be super normal. We're going to have fans for sure. But I think there'll be some limitations on, you know, can you get into the pit area to see the drivers and stuff? We'll probably do autograph sessions and some of that at, you know, with some sort of distancing. Uh, but, you know, I think they're going to be cautious at the first few because we want to get to Indy. We want to get to the Indy 500. They want to have maybe not a full crowd, but they want to have a good crowd. And we don't need any hiccups along the way. Most of the places that we go race to start our year are open. Florida's open, Alabama's open, Texas open, Indianapolis, I'm here now. I saw the other day there was only a couple hundred cases in the entire state, you know, in 24 hours. That's, that's not much, you know, so I could see Indiana going to open soon. Our biggest question mark is where you guys are at. You know, at the end of our season, the beginning of our season typically was due to have Long Beach and a couple others that are now moved to the very end. And so uh, that's the biggest question mark at this point. And right behind that would be Toronto. Uh, maybe even ahead of that is Toronto. Does Toronto happen or not? Um, you know, they've announced basically lockdowns until the beginning of July, which is interesting. And um, our race is the second week of July. So you got to think Toronto is in doubt. Uh, but the rest, I would say, are, are looking, you know, are looking good. Yeah, it's been an interesting year for sure. I'm sure they're going to be careful in how they navigate it. But people are... People are hungry for it and excited to get back. So it's cool to hear that you got the whole schedule mapped out. Definitely. Um, Definitely. How are we going to recognize you? I know last year I was watching for you in the blue and white United Rentals car, right? Uh, what's uh, what's sort of the sponsor and aesthetic of things this season? So we've got a bunch of sponsors. If there's anything with our team, uh, which is a good problem, but we've got a bunch. This year's our 30th anniversary of our race team. Um, and so this year we're going back. United Rentals is still our primary at most. Um, Total Oil, which if you're a, a gearhead, you, you should know what Total is. They've been around forever, one of the world's largest um, you know, oil companies. They're, they're still with us in a, in, a, in a big, big way. And then we've got a, a variety of others uh, that we work with. But um, yeah, I mean, United Rentals car will be uh, the white uh, and basically white and blue. If you go back to 1998 to my dad's uh, farewell year, uh, the Miller Lite car. That's what our United Rentals car will be this year. We've got a special paint scheme coming for the Indy 500, uh, which I can't say too much about, but it'll be cool. It'll be another throwback. Um, the Total car is all red, which was reminiscent of the 1986 Indy 500 winner. So this year on both cars, my car and Takuma's, you know, we're doing some different paint schemes to try to throw back, you know, to the kind of the heritage of the uh, of the company, which is cool. I love that. Yeah, no, your uh, your dad's uh, eighty six. Uh, I think it was a March uh, Budweiser livery uh, Indy five hundred winner. I had forgotten he ran the, those Miller Lite cars uh, uh, a decade later. 
Um, you know, I think what, what IndyCar uh, as a casual observer is doing probably better than NASCAR and F1 is just each race is so competitive. And as a spectator, um, it's, it's so awesome. Like the top 10 at any given event, like it's anyone's race. Um, and on the other major pro series, I don't think you get that level of kind of driver parody that, that you've been seeing in IndyCar the last few years. Yeah. I mean, even if you look at drag racing, you know, drag racing, it's really only a couple of, of teams that are, that are winning weekend and week out. Um, you know, I think NASCAR, you look at the beginning of this year and they've had, you know, a bunch of different winners, but it's really only a couple of different teams. Uh, the thing about IndyCar and we don't even need to go into F1. I mean, I try to follow F1 and this isn't a, a shot at them. I genuinely try, but you just know the result. You literally know the, the re I mean, I was so excited when George Russell got a shot last year to drive the Mercedes just because I wanted to see what's going to be, what's going to be the result. And it should have been the same thing. That car was going to win again, you know, without the tire issue in IndyCar racing. When I started in 2007, you know, I, I started with one of the best teams in Newman Haas and to be in the top five, if you weren't in the top five and you drove a Newman Haas car, it was a disappointment. Like you should be there. And today you could be the best that there is and qualify 22nd one weekend. I mean, you just don't know the parody, the teams are close. Um, if you hit it, you know, perfectly, yeah, you're going to go out there and win. Um, and, and, and the bounce, you know, all the bounces go your, your way. Um, you know, but it is so close. Uh, and, with the yellow flag rules and everything else in IndyCar, there's also still a whole lot of, you know, luck that can play a role. And, you know, the yellow flag can completely toss the strategy upside down, you know, whereas in F1, they don't, they don't do that. You know, they don't close the pits, they, the virtual safety car, but the gaps are the same, you know, people, people keep, keep the gap and you can pit and come out in the lead and everything else. The thing about IndyCar racing is it really is probably one of the last pro sports that doesn't have gimmicks you know, pro, pro racing, there is no gimmick to it. It's just like it was, you know, in my, in my dad's era. And that's what I like about it. It really hasn't changed a, a lot yet. I think fans do appreciate that because in many ways it's still simple and, and it's, and it's, and it's purity. So, um, you know, but I think IndyCar's done a great job too. You look at, obviously I talked about Grosjean who came from formula one, uh, over this year, but you've got this guy named Jimmy Johnson, uh, who, dominated you know nascar as everybody knows for a while he's coming over uh so he's a rookie this year you know and then you've got uh you've got scotty mclaughlin who's great and won the supercars championship three years in a row and v8 supercars in australia is about as as hard of racing as you'll ever do i've driven them Th those things are animals really really hard to drive and uh you know scott dominated it and here he is he's coming in in a penske car so great equipment but still um, you know, there's a lot of great worldwide international names that are coming into the sport. And I think in the near future, you're going to see a lot of new names too, because there are guys, you know, that are getting long in the tooth, you know, and there's going to be some opportunities uh, for young guys to come in and, and hopefully girls. I know at Indy, they're, they're having a big push. Simona's coming back um, and, and going to race there with a, a female, uh, Beth Peretta, who used to be one of the top uh, people at Dodge. Uh, she, she started a team and um, you know, she's going to have a, uh, a, a shot at Indy and a, and a all female team, which will be cool. So, you know, we'll see. Sounds super cool. 
Um, you mentioned some of those guys, Jimmy Johnson coming over, some other people who have raced with fenders. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, um, yeah, have you, I mean, obviously you're on this awesome trajectory within the open wheel, uh, you know, competition, but have you ever thought of concurrently racing in other series or are there other series, you know, always something you want to do off in the future that maybe is a, a, a next step for you? Obviously you're kind of at the top. I don't know that you need a you know, next step, but some, sometimes there's drivers that love to get their hands on all sorts of different types of cars. Or are you, have you found your sweet spot and you love it? And it's, it's a, uh, it's the one. I found it for the here and now I found it for the here and now. I mean, I've always had my eye on sports cars. You guys just, uh, on BAT just had one of the Pratt and Miller vets. Yes. And, uh, I don't know if that was the car I drove, but I've driven, I, I tested with, with, um, you know, with GM and the Pratt and, and, and the C6 and C7R and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, um, just tremendous cars. And, you know, I love sports car racing. And the thing about sports car racing is the wear and tear on the old body. Yeah, the races are longer, but the cars are nowhere near as brutal, you know, as an Indy car. So when the Indy cars, uh, you know, the music stops there for me, um, you know, I hope that there's a future uh, to, to go sports car racing. I'm excited by the future for sports cars too. This LM, you know, LMDH thing. Is going to be great you know dpi uh the, the that we have right now is is cool but we need to go to lamont the the cars over here the brands over here acura you know all of them they need to go to lamont and um you know i think that lmdh is going to give a really good opportunity for them to to do that so that excites me uh, and the prototypes are sweet cars to drive um you know they're really not a lot of flaws you know in their handling a lot of downforce good grip so when when the when the IndyCar stuff stops, you know that's probably my trajectory. I would like to try some some Cup stuff. I, I would like to do some of the road courses and you know and maybe an oval or two. I've reached out to Mr. Hendrick in the past, um, you know to to try to do something, but the opportunity's just never really been there. And um, you know and also you don't want to just do it. You know if you're gonna do it, you want to be competitive and you want to have a shot at it. And as we talked about a minute ago, there's really only a couple of teams that you're going to have that opportunity with, and they're full. The you know the, the seats are full. So where else are you going to go? Yeah, definitely. When, when you look at uh, the teams that are winning, you know Daytona 24, for example, the rosters are often filled out with with a lot of IndyCar names. So so that makes sense. I actually didn't know that Jimmy Johnson was was going over oh, to yeah. uh, Open Wheel. Um, that shows how up on all this I am. Uh, that's awesome. Is he? Is he like the the the, the uh, Johnny Come Lately? Are you guys gonna give him some racing room out there, or does he have to earn it like everyone else? No, he'll have to earn it. But you know, JJ, he's a great guy, and he knows that. You know, he knows that. He, you know, I think IndyCar racing, and he'll tell you this. IndyCar racing was like it was his dream. You know, and he, I don't think he really saw himself having a career in NASCAR. I think he really wanted uh, the, to go open wheel, and it just never really happened for him. But now he's at a stage in his career that he can do whatever he wants. And so, you know, here he is. He's he's going to come and, and and give it a shot. And I'll tell you, like, you learn so much from a guy like that because his dedication to it. Now, of course, you know, the financial means that he has are a little different than most. But, I mean, he has been driving small formula, junior formula cars and stuff almost every week throughout this entire winter to just prepare himself. We can't test the Indy car that much. But it hasn't stopped him from driving a ton of other stuff. And he'll tell you, he did Daytona 24. He just did Sebring 12 and all this stuff to kind of, again, beef up his, his road racing skills. So that when he gets to the IndyCar, he's, you know, he's ready. But 
you know, he's been highly committed and, uh, you know, I think he'll be, he'll be a great asset for the series too. That is killer. You had mentioned, uh, the start of the year at Barber, then going to St. Pete and, and the few events after that. Um, obviously in, in your game, you got to be good, uh, turning left and right, but do you have a preference, uh, between uh, road course versus the, the super speedway ovals? Well, I mean, I think road courses kind of test you a lot more. Uh, I think road courses, again, you know, the, the, the purity of them and, uh, it's a huge challenge, but there's nothing more fun, honestly, than an oval. If the car is good, you know, if you've got a good car underneath you and you're racing wheel to wheel, that mono mono battle is just an awesome thing. You know, it's a great, that competitive fire is great. But if you've got a bad car, there is no longer day than you'll ever live than like Texas with an ill handling race car. That is not fun at all. So, um, you know, it can be, it can be both little short ovals. Short ovals are great. Milwaukee was awesome. Iowa, excellent. Gateway, cool. You know, really high, you know, turning G. I remember at, uh, you know, we, when the higher arrow kits, we used to go to Phoenix you know, and you're pulling 6.7 G's in the corners, like you're, that's like fire, you know, um, fighter plane stuff, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 that stuff was really cool. Um, I think a lot of people in the audience probably want to, uh, pick your brain a little bit for maybe the future of the sport and where it's headed. A lot of, uh, things we see in production cars and stuff on the street, probably stuff you're driving or maybe even tuning or who knows what, uh, around electric powertrains, hybrid powertrains, uh, and what's happening there, obviously with Formula E and some things that happened, there's been some fits and starts and some some excitement around that, but then some pullback, uh, separate series, different sorts of things. Do you ever see um, us headed in a in an electric future sort of direction for open wheel racing in a way that you feel would be compelling? <laughs> I hope not during my time. Um, <laughs> I think I can just say that, you know, I, I don't know, but you know, racing has to make noise. Uh, John, my, you know, John Forrest, my father-in-law, he and I were talking about this the other day, like drag racing without noise is just not drag racing. And, you know, IndyCar racing without noise is just not IndyCar racing. And there's a reason Formula E hasn't caught on. Um, and that's it. And it lacks, I, I, it just lacks spirit, you know, without all of those things. You know, the sights, the sounds, the smells, those are the things in racing that get you going. And if you don't have the sounds and you don't have the smells because you're not smelling any gas, um, you know, I think it I think it misses a step. I, I recognize the future, but I'm not sure. I'm one of the pessimists that's not sure electric is the future. You know, there might be other, you know, alternate fuels. There are alternate fuels. Porsche is releasing an alternate fuel that has, what, 5% of the current, you know, emissions that a, that a current fuel does. I think there's other ways to do this because I just don't understand how the power grid can sustain it anyway. We're, we are, you know, we've, we own uh, 16 car dealerships. So we see it every day that there's this pressure, you know, to be, you know, electrified, but how, you know, I mean, I, I get the question mark is just, is, is how, when you look at how much, and even in racing, you know, how do we do it effectively? Yes. Batteries have come a long way, but the Indy 500, can't have 30 minute pit stops, you know, or whatever it is, you know, I it just, it, it's, it's a very, there's a long way for it to go to be, to be viable. And I get to, you know, in cars in general, that electric cars have their place in LA, they have their place in San Francisco, they have their, but try to get from Indianapolis to Nashville 
without a charging station. It isn't going to happen. Try to get from Indianapolis to Tulsa, Oklahoma or whatever. You know, rural America, it just doesn't work yet. And and that's the same in racing. I just don't see, you know, and, and from the obviously they're doing pit stops and changing cars. Well, that's a huge expense to have multiple cars set up and ready to go. And I think that that's why you're seeing manufacturers leave the sport. Um, frankly, I think the cost isn't equaling, you know, car sales. And I think that uh, in sports car racing and indie car racing, you're going to see some, uh, you know, electric hybrid, you know, uh, added to the indie cars in 2023, I believe it is, which will be a hundred horsepower boost. Um, you know, we, we can adapt some of it, but I don't think that we need to go to the phase where it's all electric because, that just loses the spirit of what we what we do or what I grew up loving. You know, maybe for, you know, somebody who's 16, 17 years old who's listening to this, maybe they like that. You know, maybe that's their thing. But to me, you know, I, that's just not what I was raised, um, you know, to to enjoy. And so it's a little bit for me that there's a lot of adaptation to it. I love that answer, you know, getting fired up a little bit and having a point of view. That's what we appreciate, man. And it sounds like your point of view is crystal clear on you want to be in a, you know, car with spark plugs, you know, firing, uh, firing on all cylinders with uh, with plenty of nice uh, noise behind your uh, passenger compartment. So, yeah, no, exactly. I love a lot of the same things you do about racing. And um, it's just interesting to see how different people push the innovation envelope. Right. And some of that is for what you're driving and day to day on the street, right? I mean, we're seeing uh, these, you know, Porsche Taycan electric stuff cruising all over the place. And, you know, a lot of people point to that as like the future of performance, but there's certainly something missing because it sneaks up behind you and doesn't make the same sound as a 911 does at all, right? So oh. there's a, a really different sort of character and feel to it. I mean, I almost got run over in a parking garage the other day because you couldn't hear a thing, you know, and I looked to my right and there's a uh, you know, some sort of hybrid, but, or some sort of electric car. But I, w I will say like, I, I had a Porsche um, Taycan and oh, it's a great car. It's awesome. I mean, the, the acceleration is mind boggling for something that weighs that much. And, um, you know, and, and, and I, and I drove it around and, you know, my wife and I, we enjoyed it for a while, but I, I faced the same problem in Southern California when I was low on battery, there was not just a place to stop that easy. And where I did stop, if the charger was full, I was SOL. And there was just nothing, nothing more comforting than be able to pull into a gas station and fill up. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of question marks to it still. But I, like I said, too, I get the innovation. I get change needs to happen. But I think it's also coming pretty organically. I'll, I'll use the example of, uh, of a G63. I mean, if you had the last generation G63 and you're cruising down the freeway at, let's just say, you know, 75, and you can get eight miles a gallon. You should just be super thankful. And yet the new one is twice plus that. And just, you know, one generation, the change. I'm not saying it's good on gas. But what I'm saying is it's improving a ton. And, you know, this can continue. You know, there's a lot that can be found. And like I said, this Porsche gas will be interesting to see, you know, what the emissions. I guess it's all going to be released in South America first and then find its way north. But it'll be interesting to see how what that really does. And if, if that puts off, you know, 5% of the current, you know, emissions. Um, but you can just pour it right into your car without any modifications. Well, that's a pretty powerful thing. So it'd be interesting to see what, what it turns out to be. 
you know, that's interesting. I'll tell you, if, if I was driving a G63, I'd much rather buy a gallon of gas in Indianapolis in the San Francisco Bay Area. That's a much uh, cheaper car to own in your neck of the yes. woods. You definitely would. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'd love to ask you, you, you have um, ambitions beyond your pro driving career. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing with Graham Rahal Performance and, and uh, what's up with that? Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, the performance facility, I started in 2017. And, you know, our objective there was really to, uh, you know, to kind of get, uh, you know, to, to do track preps. Uh, or yeah, you know, track preparation for, for cars, uh, installations, uh, maybe, you know, we did, we did, and we do manufacture some performance parts like NSX exhausts and, uh, Acura RDX a spec, which sounds like a weird one, but we built a car for SEMA and it was like hugely in demand. I mean, went crazy, uh, with inquiries after. So we're the only one that produces air intakes and turbo upgrades and, uh, intercoolers and exhausts and stuff like that for the RDX A spec, which is which is awesome. So, you know, we have a lot of fun with that. But then we added into the car sales, you know, side of it. So, the car sales we deal in a lot of specialty stuff. Um, some I'm hopeful that you might see on on BAT soon. Here, um, we have listed stuff on BAT before. If you guys know, I think we had a Ducati before. I was a Ducati dealer. We had a uh, Ducati MH900E on there and. Uh, but, you know, it's um, the, the car stuff's been great because we've been able to add an element that really can sustain the business. You know, part sales is hard, really hard, very competitive. Internet has kind of ruined part sales because oftentimes clients can get parts off some somebody's website that we, we, ha we can't even get for that price. So that's made it difficult. But we've enjoyed the track prep side. We've got a new track series coming out just for GRP clients that will... Um, you know, we have eight track days. We go to mid Ohio, go to road Atlanta, road America, which would be amazing. Uh, we go to Audubon country club and have an evening with my dad at his car barn. Uh, you know, Bob, Bob cooks for everybody. We go to Alabama, uh, NCM. So we're, we're doing, we're taking a very limited amount of, of clients to, uh, do these specialty track days, which is a cool perk that we, we have a lot of people, the track day business has gotten so busy. Um, but it also has got risks and we've had, had clients that have done some of the more popular, you know, track days, but somebody leaks oil in front of them. And next thing they know, they've written off their GT3 or their GT4 club sports or, um, you know, whatever it may be. So we're offering that, but, you know, I've always enjoyed it. I mean, you know, like I said, going back to the very beginning, I was always tweaking on cars and having fun with it. And, um, you know, so it's kind of a passion for me that when the means were there to be able to do it, we, we ran with it and, you know, and here we are, it's kind of turned into, a little more than I initially expected, uh, but 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 here we are. And then Ducati, I'm a Ducati guy. I don't know what else to say. I grew up loving Ducatis, and um, kind of like we talked about at the very beginning, we talked about my dad, and you know he'd have something cool in the garage for a few minutes. Well, Ducatis were one of those. You know, whatever the latest, greatest, coolest Ducati was would show up in the garage for probably literally ten minutes, long enough for me to you know fall in love and then it would disappear get a couple of rides on the back i was thinking about this the other day like i'd literally just hold on as like five six year old hold on to my dad on the back and we'd go blast down the ohio side roads and i'm thinking they'd never they'd report you to like child abuse or something nowadays for for doing child endangerment for doing that but back in the day it's what we loved and so you know the noise of those ducati you know engines and everything else led us to started to open a dealership. We're the only dealer in Indiana. And, um, 
hopefully these two complement each other well. We'll see. No, that's funny. Uh, you had mentioned, I guess, I guess the flip side is when a guy wrecks his car on a track day, that's actually probably good for the parts business, right? Well, it is, but we certainly don't. We certainly hate, hate it for those guys because uh, our guys are pretty, like I said, you know, our guys are, they track a lot. They, they do a lot. Some of our guys go out, you know, weekly, if not multiple times a week. And so we don't like to see them down for too long. And that's cool. I didn't realize you guys were the sole Ducati dealer in the state. That's that's really awesome. But Graham, if, if, if I was your main sponsor, I wouldn't be too thrilled about you ripping around the back roads on a brand new Ducati Superbike. So I don't ride. That is one that is one caveat to the entire thing is I I, I, I don't ride. I, I used to ride a lot, uh, but I don't, uh, you know, nowadays in season, at least I don't ride, you know, uh, much, although I, I have a monster that I just put a license plate on. So maybe I'll, you know, start dipping my toe again. But uh, like I said, I, I used to ride quite a bunch, but like you just said, with the sponsors and everything else in the lines, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for me to, to be able to do it now. Cool. Um, yeah. Thanks for telling us about all that sort of aspect. Back to BAT a little bit. You said the the collection may be evolving a little bit in the future, or maybe the GRP cars, or maybe we're going to get uh, to taste a few of those, to sell a few of those for you from the commercial side. What um, in the personal collection, you mentioned the 355, yellow 355. That's burned in my mind now of you going to soccer practice. You're never going to shake that. Uh, but yeah. what what else is maybe out there on the horizon that that you would love to maybe cycle through for 10 minutes or for 10 years uh, in the future? Something you'd love to chase down. So I almost bought uh, one the other day on VAT, but I, I didn't. But it probably my very first car was a WRX STI in 04. <laughs> and it was white with gold wheels. So I am waiting for a pristine low mile and the other day you had a 9000 mile silver car that I was close but I just I I think if I'm going to do it I really want like what what my first you know what I had so um that that's probably what I'm I'm looking for next um that 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 could pop up that would be something that excites me but um to be honest I keep my eye on it for Ducatis too I know it's mostly cars and stuff but there's some good bikes that pop up and you may see some of mine. Um, I've got a 998 uh, S uh, Ben Bostrom edition. They only made 155. Uh, I actually have two of them that are brand new zero miles. And so I think, you know, maybe some of we can talk about getting one of those up um, and spreading some awareness. That's a cool bike, super cool bike. Um, very, very rare. And um, you know, as far as on the GRP side, I mean, we've got a boss 429 right now that is, absolutely you know primo i mean brand new it's 3500 original mile car um you know 1969 candy apple red and uh you know it's uh we've been keeping an eye on what you guys have had and 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 the thing that's great to see about bat is now the the scope of what you're doing too right it's it's not just you know a certain price range but even the real premium stuff is bringing great numbers which is awesome and opens our eyes to what all we can do, um, you know, with you guys in, in the future. But yeah, I mean, for me personally, the STI, you know, like I said, a yellow 355, I'm, I'm going to be picky because it's like, 
I probably would. Those are cars I'd keep probably forever because they're kind of ingrained. I said that car because it is. I never drove it. Clearly, I was only like six years old or something. But it's just ingrained in my head that like that was so beautiful. Uh, you know, when I was a kid and someday I'd like to, you know, get the opportunity to, to have one again. I love it. And I love also how you're saying, you know, maybe we can talk about this being humble. Like Howard's sitting right here, man. He's the guy that rubber stamps that car or those bikes coming through. So you yeah, found you found the guy. Like it's no, like, I know. And we've talked before, you know, we've emailed back and forth before. I uh I, I will say my Ducati collection is highly of interest because I, I've collected too many, enough to where it was like, yeah, maybe we need to actually make a business of this. Um, but I've kind of gone through, you know, like all of my bikes are zero mile bikes. All of them. My 851 Tricolore, you know, is brand new. Like I said, that which go find another brand new 851. You probably you probably can't. Um, 9988S, the Bostrom bikes, brand new. 999R, Fila, brand new. But I kind of changed the collection because, number one, I have a wife and eventually, you know, it's like, okay, how much do you really need? Like, are you going to like narrow this thing down a little bit? It's ridiculous. And number two, I just want to change to like simplify, you know, so BAT is a perfect platform, you know, for us to be able to do that. And um, the other thing I think we're, Howard, you're going to get an email about is a, is a, a KTM crossbow, um, the R model. Um, we, we have one of those and, and that's super rare. There's not many in this country. Uh, it's got a U.S. title, which is also rare because most were brought in as only track cars. Um, so, you know, that's something we'd like to, uh, to get up on there and see what it can do. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Cool. Well, yeah, the motorcycle business on BAT has been evolving and growing for sure. You know, there's what, 16 bikes live right now on BAT and, and we've been curating that especially so it'd be an effective place. So yeah, we hope we can see some of that stuff. But I love here in WRX, like I'm, I'm holding Howard back right now, but he has WRX uh, experience too in, in, uh, in his past. And I'm, I, I love how those cars are now coming around to be sort of a nostalgia play for a lot of folks. Oh, yeah. they, were, they were sort of current for a really long time, right? And all of them were getting modded and rallied and all, all the stuff. Um, but hearing that you spent some time in one of those and that you know, going back to find that one that you had is important to you, I think is pretty cool, don't you? Well, the O4s, Howard, you probably know this, but the O4s didn't come with radios. Uh, you know, they, they had blanking plates, the O4 STI. Uh, it didn't have like the O5 suddenly got this, you know, little uh, trim piece on the rear fenders, um, the rear quarters and on the bumper that I, I didn't like. Um, it kind of just flared up the rear, the, 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 from the back, you know, kind of midway up the rear wheel which I really didn't like. Uh, but the thing I loved about the 04 was the purity of it. I mean, there was nothing to it, right? I mean, it was, like I said, no radio. Uh, and trust me, I modded mine way too. I went through five motors. So I was not a poster child for, you know, good maintenance or anything. I mean, it, it, it had its days. But I still, you know, I think back to the fun I had in that car and how simple it was, but just, it's hard to beat that. You, you know, we talked earlier about why I still have a 1964 mini Cooper because I, I paid four grand for it or something. And it's the most fun you can have on the street. It just is the most fun. And and so, you know, you can go buy a million, $2 million cars. You'll never get the enjoyment of going through a corner at 35 miles an hour in a mini Cooper. It just put a smile on your face all day. So to me, 
you know, it's just nothing like those. No, I love that you're that you're excited about that uh, white gold wheels. Yeah, that's a great spec. And yeah, when you when you uh, boil it down to something that specific, and you look around, it ain't like they're for sale everywhere. Oh. Uh, as you pointed out, um, if if you want to take a deeper cut, I think some people like the O fives because you could get the adjustable center diff, or could you do that in the O four too? The O four had it. The O four had that. I'm pretty. I'm ninety nine point nine percent sure, but. Um, Look, they were all cool back then. You know, I think they kind of lost it when it went to the hatch. Not because I don't like hatches. I love hatches. But it just kind of lost the look and the feel of, you know, like me growing up, you know, calling, you know, Colin McRae, guys like that. You know, I was like, uh, even Petter Solberg, you know, Richard Burns, like the World Rally guys. You know, you see the Subarus, the blue, you know, gold with the big wings. You know, when he went to the went to the hatch, it just wasn't, it didn't scream that to me anymore. And then they went away from it. But there's a lot of good ones. Look at the new one, even the S209, which probably sold out. There were a few kind of hanging in, in uh, on, on, you know, uh, sale ads and stuff like that. But uh, the S209 is a pretty cool car because, again, it kind of went back to that original. It was very raw and, you know, fast and pure. But, you know, a lot of great memories in those things. Hey, the one thing I did want to ask you, Graham, is is your your guys' team officially? I think is is uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. Um, a lot of people don't know that David Letterman is into cars and into racing. Is he is David Letterman like coming to your July Fourth barbecue, or or what's his involvement these days? Oh, he's involved. He's pretty heavily involved. Um, you know, now that he's doing that Netflix Netflix, uh, my next guest is or whatever it's called. I shouldn't admit to him that I don't even know what his show is called, but I think that's it. Um, you know, I t- we don't see him. That's kept him actually pretty busy, but he comes around quite a bit. We'll see him more this year. Last year, only a couple of times. Uh, he was at the 500. Um, you know, he, I, I think with COVID and everything else, he, he was hunkered down pretty good, but uh, he, he definitely comes, you know, five or six times a year. But every, after every qualifying session, every race, I'll always have a text message from him. I mean, he doesn't miss a beat. He is paying attention. Um, and a lot of people probably think that, that, that you know, he's a silent partner or his name's just on it to help the team. I mean, he definitely pays attention to what's going on. That's awesome. I love seeing pictures when he's wearing your sponsor gear and he's in the pits with his whole new look with the beard and everything. I mean, yeah. Makes me makes me laugh and I love it. And I, I remember back in the day him having uh, Danny Sullivan on his show after Sullivan did the spin to win in, at the 500 yeah. and all that stuff. I'm dating myself. You probably weren't even born, but it was uh, it was that was that was fun. I've always known that he had just sort of a a delight in cars. So having him involved with what you're doing is super cool. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, we have loved having you on this uh, interview. I'm sure our audience does as well. They'll probably hit us with. 50 more questions we should have asked Graham during the, uh, during the interview. So um, yeah, let's get some cars and some bikes going through the system and uh, maybe we'll circle back again and have you back on after, uh, after some more months pass and you have another uh, successful season here out on track. Sounds good guys. I'd love it. Cool. Thanks for joining us. We'll be rooting for you this year. Thanks Graham. Thank you.